At the State Department, nearly half the senior executive service employees and nearly one in four of its GS-15 employees are eligible to retire right now. State has doubled down on recruitment for and retention of the next generation of diplomats. Carol Perez is Director General of the Foreign Service and since February, the Director of Human Resources at State. She tells Federal News Network's Jory Heckman what her priorities are. The goal for the State Department is to have the world's premier diplomatic team. And I say the word team because we have a very diverse workforce. We have foreign service officers, foreign service professionals who are specialists, civil servants, family members, local staff, and contractors that help us. And obviously, we want to put our people first because it does empower our workforce to do the best they can for the American people. So my goal is to take a look at where the workforce is now, but also to plan for the future and for future challenges. So I understand that you recently introduced new civil and foreign service specialist classes to the agency. Just give me an overview of what kind of roles they do in the department and, you know, what kind of roles they fulfill. I think that's one of the real key issues about the department that most people don't anticipate. I think when people think of the Department of State, they think of diplomats or they think about the work that we do overseas. And I think they think more traditionally that we're involved in the international relations part of our jobs. But you're right. I was honored to have the opportunity to swear in a class of foreign service specialists recently and also civil servants. And here, just to give you an idea of how diverse our workforce is, we have IT specialists. We have people that work in healthcare, both doctors and nurses, nurse practitioners. We have engineers. We have financial managers. We have people that take care of our buildings. We have construction engineers. You name it, we have a little bit of everything. And we need that because we actually, and we are overseas, we do function as an embassy, which means that we have to provide all the services, not only to our internal community, but to support Americans that are visiting or living overseas as well. I want to drill down a little bit further into the workforce piece of things. Back in February, the State Department released its five-year workforce plan a couple of days or a couple of weeks into your tenure. But just give me an overview of what are some of the key highlights from that, what jumps out at you as some of the big priorities. I think this five-year workforce plan is, uh, first of all, it's, it's really focused on leadership, and I think that's important. So we're, t- we're looking broadly at the workforce, but we're also looking at what are leadership challenges and what things are we doing well. So I would say the challenges are we have a very complex workforce. As I mentioned, we have so many different people that work together, have to work on teams. The report also highlights the efforts we've made. So, for example, it talks a lot about what we do in terms of recruitment, the kinds of people we want to bring in. It looks at things like promotion. How are we making sure that employees that are deserving of opportunities to advance are advancing? And it also looks at our attrition rates so that we can take a look at who might be deciding to leave the workforce, whether because it's time to age out or just because they've decided on a different lifestyle. It also looks at the programs we offer and it also addresses some of those problems So, for example, programs that we have to help have a really engaged workforce are things like mentorship, sponsorship, coaching, our training and development that we offer. Again, our goal is to have an engaged workforce, but this plan helps us look five years into the future, and it's a snapshot that really does help me, especially new to this position, identify where our strengths are and where are the things that we still need to improve on. 
And as far as things like attrition, how are those rates looking? And, you know, are they on target with where you guys would like to be? How is that number looking? So attrition is generally in historic ranges for the foreign service. We have such a competitive service that actually people that do have the opportunity to serve with us tend not to leave. So the percentages are relatively small between normally 3 and 4% at the entry level and that we call the mid-level. So people have maybe 10 to 15 years. They do tick up as people age because people decide to retire or we have an up and out system. So some people may actually have served the max amount of time they are allowed to in the service. The civil service rates are a bit higher. I think that's also a reflection, though, of an aging workforce. And I know that's something that you all hear talk about quite a bit. Uh, and so we see the same thing, which is why it's important to look at those trends and see what we should be doing to make sure that we have enough people coming into the system so we can manage that attrition. On that piece of new people coming into the agency, I just wanted to go over some numbers of the volume of people who are taking the Foreign Service Officer Test. I'm looking at an article from NBC. They had some numbers between October of 2017 and October 2018. Just under 9,000 people chose to take the test. That being said, I understand that's still well over the number of spots that are available for the Foreign Service on any given year. Give me a sense of how that pipeline is coming along. You know, is there enough new talent, enough new applicants coming in to fulfill the vacancies that are available? That's a really good question. Generally, the number of test takers that we have is a reflection of how the economy is doing. So when you move towards full employment, we have less people that take the exam because there's just more opportunities. And if you look generally, you will see, for example, that after the 2008 crash in 2009 and 2010, we hit record numbers of people taking the exam because there were less opportunities because the economy was not doing so well. To be honest, I believe that the numbers have been going down for uh, the number of test takers have been going down for since then. So we sort of peaked in 210 and it's been slowly declining. The numbers are ticking up this year compared to last year. But I would also say that there are a lot more opportunities, especially for those people that would like to join as a foreign service officer. There are so many more opportunities nowadays to work in other kinds of international work, whether you're working for an NGO or you're working in business. So if you look at the 2018 test takers, we had about almost 9,000. And last year, we hired 500, and that is both specialists and generalists. And what we look at is, what is our pass rate? So that is a good sense to us. If our pass rate changes, then maybe we have a problem. It stays steady. And because our numbers are so small, we get exceptional, exceptional candidates. We also have two programs that really help us on diversity called the Pickering and Wrangle programs. These are supported on a bipartisan basis by Congress. And this last year, we only have a cohort of 60, but this Last year, the number of people that opted to apply for that program was well over 900. And that, in one case, I think was an increase of about 150% over the year before. So I think we still really recruit the right people who would like to take these jobs, and it's still extremely competitive. Just to follow up on the, the fellowship piece of things, I've reported on the Foreign Affairs Information Technology Fellowship, and you had mentioned some other fellowships as well. Do you see that as a reliable pipeline for this new talent coming in? The Foreign Affairs Information Technology Fellowship was actually based on the success that we had with Pickering and Wrangles. But as you know, it is focused on IT professionals. So we have the first cohort will be going out to the field this year. We are in the process of trying to quadruple the number that we have now and make sure that we have more of these opportunities. 
the fellows that are selected for these programs are very excited about these opportunities. I think it gives somebody a really good opportunity to serve overseas, but also very challenging and very interesting environments. So we really do want to continue to have these kinds of programs that gives us the best and the brightest, but also gives talented individuals an opportunity to work with us. And one follow-up question on the workforce and the skills gaps. I was looking at, again, this workforce report we've spoken about already. It does mention something about a language gap as far as a language gap in the foreign service and the civil service. Could you just unpack a little bit more of what that language gap looks like and more detail on steps to address that? I think what makes us very unique is that we as a department really value language skills. And the number of what we call language-designated positions has grown significantly over the years. And what I mean by that is we require people to have various levels of proficiency in order to go and serve overseas. So what we do now is every three years we have a triennial language review. We're going to do it at the end of this year. And that is a worldwide review of how many language positions we have overseas, What's our success in getting people into those jobs? And then whether or not we have to make any adjustments. We do a couple of things to make sure that we have people with the right skills. First of all, we recruit people with language skills. So especially if there are languages that are in deficit more generally, so it might be Arabic or Chinese, we want people with those skills to come to work with us. So they will get extra credit during the exam process if they do have those skills. There also is incentive pay for some of our highest priority language positions. And then finally, we are also looking at how we can improve on our technology and also our training because we are all adult language learners. So that's a little bit different than when you're six or seven years old and you're learning a language. So we're constantly trying to reform the process and make sure that we can get as many people out. But I'm a big believer if you, you know, language skills are really what makes us successful in the field. And if you don't have that, I, I can tell you as ambassador to Chile, without Spanish, I would have just not been able to participate fully in the variety of Chilean foreign affairs and societal issues that come up. Carol Perez, Director General of the Foreign Service and now Director of Human Resources at the State Department, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Be sure to check Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. As we continue to face COVID-19, we're now facing flu season. Influenza has the potential to infect millions, putting lives and the healthcare system at risk. Now more than ever, it's essential to protect yourself from influenza by getting the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine is safe and effective and can't give you the flu. To protect yourself and those at highest risk, get your flu vaccine. Learn more at michigan.gov flu. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. <laughs> 